0: This is the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, bringing you the inside track on Liverpool FC's next opponents. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo with myself, Patrick Smith, as we preview Liverpool's trip to the Emirates to take on Arsenal in the Premier League. With Manchester City dropping points away at Crystal Palace, the Reds are now able to cut the title race gap to just one point with victory over Arsenal but that will by no means be easy. Well, I'm now delighted to be joined by writer and presenter Tom Canton from the Arsenal way to discuss the nature of the task for Liverpool. So, Tom, what can our listening and watching Liverpool fans expect on Wednesday night? Uh,
1: probably their their toughest challenge in, in quite a few games, to be fair. Um, Arsenal have always been a side that I think Liverpool have been fairly confident about facing uh, in recent seasons. I don't think that's really up for debate. And Arsenal have kind of always approached these games with quite a lot of apprehension um, because we obviously know how good Liverpool are. But, yeah, Arsenal have really, really changed in kind of the last three to four months, uh, especially since just before uh, the Christmas period hit. We have gone for a really good period of form, beating sides that a lot of people kind of question whether or not we'd have the guile to be able to beat. West Ham at home, Wolves home and away. You know, we we run Manchester City very, very close at the Emirates. Should have got arguably definitely a point, maybe even more had we not, you know, succumbed to the old Arsenal traits of giving away penalties and getting red cards as we like to do these days. But uh, yeah, we had a really good opportunity in that game to pick up three points. And I'm sure that at the Emirates, Arsenal will certainly be looking at the Liverpool chance again as maybe a bit of a, a Man City take two kind of scenario where there's the opportunity to maybe make do with the wrongs that we get right this time around.
0: I mean, you mentioned that City game you now that could almost be a catalyst because mm. your eyes and form since then has been so impressive, hasn't it? And obviously, the two clubs have already met three times this season. That being Liverpool mm. and Arsenal, of course. You know, it's fair to say Liverpool have had the upper hand, but what's different now between this current Arsenal side compared to you know the one say pre-Christmas?
1: Yeah, I mean, we've only lost one league game since we lost, ironically, to, to Everton uh, on the 6th of December, <laughs> which looks like an awful result now when you consider well. where they are. <laughs> Honestly, it was unbelievable. It was one of the worst games I've ever watched when we lost that Everton game. But yeah, what, what's changed, I think, is that Abamyang's dropping has been huge. Um, I mean, I was looking at the statistics the other day. In the 14 games that Abamyang has played this season, uh, we've scored uh, 18 goals and then in the 11 games since he was dropped, we've scored 25. So it's ironic that you take out who is a world-class striker on his day. Let's make no bones about that. But for what Mikel Arteta was trying to achieve, Alexandre Lacazette has kind of fulfilled that role a lot more. So his link-up play, the way in which we attack is a lot more refined. We're a lot more threatening in the wide areas as well. And I think that also the midfield, Jacker and Partey, those two combining fantastically well. But the, the biggest kind of difference and the biggest star of this period has definitely been Martin Odegaard because he's just been an absolutely fabulous footballer to watch. And there was a lot of doubts about him in the summer or whether or not we should have, you know, spent the money or instead maybe pushed a little bit harder for Sir James Madison from Leicester. Arteta knew the guy that he wanted, he continued to push for Odegaard, it looks like we weren't going to sign him and then Real Madrid and Ancelotti just turned around and basically said, look, you're probably not going to get the opportunities this season and, and he made that opportunity to, to then take the chance to move to Arsenal and it's been fantastic this season, especially since the turn of the new year as well.
0: Yeah, you've my next question really well there, you know, Odegaard has rightly been taking the headlines recently, how important is he to your side, you know, is there a reason for this recent spike in his form or has he sort of been more in the shadows for the start of the season?
1: It's a tricky one to kind of put your finger on why it's changed so drastically because he wasn't really known for chipping in with lots of goal contributions, goals or assists. But this season, especially since um, the games kind of around November time, he really started stepping things up. I think Mikel Arteta spoke about how he was challenging him. I think Odegaard actually did the interview with Norwegian TV too, where he kind of admitted that, Arteta's challenged him to get into the box more and to be a little bit more threatening and I think the goal that he scored against Watford definitely highlighted that combination play with Saka um, where he is really learning from what Arteta's telling him to do so I think both Odegaard and Arteta deserves credit for kind of developing his game this season he's only 23 but he's probably one of the most experienced players in the Premier League despite the fact he's still so young because he's been on the senior scene since he was 16 years of age he's been on numerous loans to Vitesse and uh, he's also been elsewhere in, in Holland he also went back to to Spain with Real Sociedad and did really well there before coming back to Arsenal for that six months so you know he's done fantastically well and I think that when you look at his captaincy in the Norwegian national side and you combine all of those factors together you've got a player that is 23 but it's probably got the head of a 28, 29-year-old on his shoulders. And I think that maturity in this Arsenal side has been really
0: necessary. Do you think as well, he's like, slightly moved to the right-hand side of your midfield three now, mm-hmm. hasn't he, rather than the number 10 spot? Because if he were in the number 10 role, Fabinho obviously probably one of, if not the best, defensive midfielders in the world. Do you think Liverpool are going to struggle to pick him up in that right-hand side spot?
1: No, because you're Liverpool and you're very good. Um, I, I don't think you will struggle.
0: Uh, I think that he
1: will challenge you. And I think that um, he kind of pops up in the half spaces sometimes and does really well on the right hand side to support Saka. It's that basically the thing with Arsenal is that whilst we're playing really well, at the moment we can still be a little bit one or two dimensional. Like We we rarely kind of go into the nature of being unpredictable. You kind of know what you're going to get from Arsenal. And if you can shut down Saka and if you can shut down Odegaard, that takes a huge proportion of what Arsenal are capable of doing out of the team right now. Because if you look back at, say, last season, 2020 uh, 2021 Kieran Tierney was kind of ironically the most threatening part of Arsenal. Down that left-hand flank, he was crossing balls into the box all day long, and it was just monotonously predictable to know what Arsenal were going to do. This season, there's been a lot better. Odegaard stepped up, Saka stepped up. Lacazette, despite not scoring, is definitely helping with his link-up play. And Tierney's been a little bit more subdued this season. hasn't really been the same Tierney that we saw last year. Um, the left-hand side, Martinelli and Smith have been vying out for that left-hand spot. But it's so crucial that Erdegaard and Saka are on form for Arsenal to be in their tip-top form. So the reason why I say no, I don't think you'll struggle to kind of deal with it because the midfield of what you've got available to you is so good, especially with Fabinho and what he does and, and how consistent the defence is at shutting down the best parts of opposition sides – that it's going to take both of and the rest of the Arsenal team to be on their absolute top game to have any kind of hope of, of getting through that Liverpool backline and midfield.
0: Behind enemy lines on the Blood Red Channel. I suppose our strong midfield made well with Odegaard, but Mikhail Saka, he mentioned, keeping him quiet isn't exactly straightforward, is it? I mean, in my opinion, he's the one who's called Liverpool the most problems when the two clubs have met this season. You know, how can Liverpool cope with Saka and what problems will he cause us?
1: Uh, you cope with him by doubling up uh, as much as feasibly possible. Um, he can struggle sometimes to break away, but that is part of his game. that's definitely stepped up this season. Is He rolls away from players with a strange feeling of he's a lot stronger than he actually looks. Uh, and he's really good at kind of breaking away from defenders in tight spaces, keeping the ball under control. That's a lot of the things that people looked at for Nicolas Pepe and said... Why, why isn't Pepe necessarily getting into the team as much as Saka is? And it's because Saka's ability to keep the ball close to his feet whilst beating his players has gone to a different level above what Pepe can kind of achieve at Arsenal at the moment. What he doesn't and has still improved on, admittedly, is his finishing. And that's where Pepe's kind of game was always lauded. Was he was one of the best finishers at the club. But with Saka, it's when he's getting into these goal-scoring positions, he's doing really well to take those chances. You look at the goals that he scored this season. Again, in the Watford game the other day, the goal that he scored against Brentford from the left-hand side across the keeper, um, the goals he scored against Leeds, it was a fantastic finish in that fixture too. You look at those games and he's definitely added that threat to his to his game. But if you do double up on him, if Robertson doesn't overcommit too often, Saka will be able to be um, probably shackled more so than, than Arteta would like. The difference is, is, with Liverpool's fullbacks playing so far high up the pitch so often, if Saka is able to get him behind Robertson and is able to feed him, and as he does, that's probably where you're going to be most vulnerable during the game, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, of course, as well, you've got so many attacking options, and you spoke about the Watford game there. Martinelli as well had a brilliant performance then. Yeah. The story of the season has been, you know, Saka and Smith Row, as your chat goes. But Martinelli's really stepped up recently as well. And you have got three games in the space per week. So do you think Arteta is going to rotate any of those attacking options going into this game?
1: There's the possibility that Smith Rowe comes in. Um, I think that Martinelli, whilst is he's a classic 20-year-old who's got lots of talent. He's your classic, like, in certain games, explodes with with loads of like clips that you'll go viral online. The, Ch- the Chelsea goal that he scored where he ran from one half of the pitch, to the other, for instance, being one of them, the goal he scored the other day against Watford. But actually that Watford game, he wasn't, amazing uh, and that one goal that he scored was kind of the bright spark of the fixture but then when he plays against Liverpool there's this weird thing that Klopp loves to you know talk him up and talk about him as kind of you know this this special talent which he is but I still feel like that Arteta will continue with him despite these issues because we played West Ham and Southampton and Leeds in the space of a week uh, in the December period And he kept the same lineup for those three games. So he's not uncomfortable using the exact same lineup across all of those fixtures. So I think he probably will end up sticking with the team as is. The only possible option is maybe if Tommy Asu's back fit, which we're not 100% sure. He said that he's back training today. I doubt he'd risk throwing him in. But he may bring him back for Villa at the weekend, but probably not Liverpool.
0: Well, yeah, let's move on to the defence because obviously Mo Salah has missed training. We're not sure whether he's going to start or not. So we may be looking at a weakened-ish Liverpool attack. So how have Arsenal's defensive performances of late been? And, you know, will you be hoping for a repeat of that League Cup first leg in the semi-final where you managed to keep us at bay?
1: Yeah, obviously there's a difference in that game, I suppose, because when we went down to 10 men, we brought Rob Holding on and went to a back three. And actually that's been a bit of a discussion amongst the Arsenal fan bases whether or not we should go to a back three in this game and bring Rob Holding in. Because when Holding's come in, he's done really, really well alongside White and Gabriel. Um Tierney into and primarily
0: without defense don't
1: you <laughs> Of course yeah um but Tierney and Cedric have been a little bit questionable defensively this season Cedric especially we know he's quite good going forwards but defensively can be very limited that's where Tommy Asu's strengths really come into it when he's fully fit he wasn't fully fit in the league cup home game hence why he was kind of turned inside out a number of times um by Jota I think it was during the game but in this scenario I think Arteta will stick with the back four Um, Wyatt is fantastic with the way he brings the ball out from the back. He's probably uh, England's number one uh, centre-back for the future. You look at what he's going to be able to do in a Gareth Southgate side that love to play out from the back as well. If you think that Harry Maguire is getting to the team every single week, Ben Wyatt has far outshone Harry Maguire this season. And people talked about who was the the silliest side, the famous memes that went about, about uh, Kanate and Wyatt and Varane and when Kunde was obviously linked with Chelsea as well. And White was kind of looked at as the bit of the, the the court jester amongst those, but actually has shown to be one of the best signings across the league this season. So, He's excellent. And then you've got to get past Ramsdale, who's, you know, just been brilliant and probably the surprise signing of the season, one of the surprise signings across the whole of of the continent, arguably, this year, because it comes from a side where he's been relegated with, where he was relegated with the team before that and relegated with the team he was on loan at uh, as well. So to come then to Arsenal and perform the way he has done, I think, have the third most clean sheets in the league this season is, you know, it's staggering. So if there is a defence that can hold this Liverpool front line out, I would be, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team better than Arsenal to, to try and do it.
0: Yeah, I'll fully admit I was one of those when Ramsdale signed that was given some Arsenal fans So was I. <laughs> yeah. He's really yeah. made me, in my words, he's been brilliant for you, hasn't he? The energy he provides as well on the defence, you know, his, his passion for it. But I'm going to move on to the context of the league now because obviously it's a must-game win for Liverpool. But Arsenal mm-hmm. themselves are in a really good shot of the top four, aren't they? So is it a similarly crucial match for yourselves? The
1: Leicester win took a bit of pressure off this game um, for Arsenal. I think that Arteta will obviously be looking at it as, as not anything like a free hit or a bonus, but you know I think there is an acceptance that Liverpool and City are the signs that Arsenal are trying to get onto that level two again with the signings that they're making, with the, the way they're playing football, with the the mentality that Arteta's is putting into the team. But this game is will be looked at as if we can get something from it, Arsenal have then got top four pretty much in their hands to then throw away. If we don't get anything from this game, it will be a case of regroup, go to Villa, move on from this. And, you know, I don't think it will burden the side because it it wouldn't be like a shock defeat. And I think no one's going to be looking at it in that way. For Liverpool, the pressure's obviously increased because of last night's result against Crystal Palace. Um, We're we'll calling this on Tuesday, of course. And with with that result, I'm not sure, and I'd love to get kind of your view from that perspective is, do you think that result against Palace will have invigorated Liverpool? Because I feel like they were already fully motivated anyway. And whatever the result would have been, they would have carried on to push. But do you think it, it will have any bearing on the way that you approach the game?
0: I think the momentum sort of swung because we've been in a position where we've played our games before City, albeit they've still had that game in hand. But the past few weeks, it's felt like we've played first. Whereas mm-hmm. now City have dropped points. and that's going to switch, it's now going to be, all right, the pressure's on Liverpool now to go and beat Arsenal. And that's the game in hand that will level it out. But personally, I don't think it's going to impact it that much because it's mm. so cliche. But I think we are probably the best side of all time to be there one game at a time. And I think Klopp, you know, really does actually manage that very well as a coach of Liverpool. So I don't think mm. it'll impact them too much. But I'm going to bring it back around to Arsenal now, of course. You know, we we're expecting to be in this position with the, you know, with the greatest respect. Maybe some <laughs> fans might have expected, you know, your Man United, your Leicester, even Tottenham to be pushing for that fourth place. But, but Arsenal now, really have got a shot at it. And would it be unsuccessful this season if they failed to do so? Uh
1: I wouldn't describe it as a failure if we didn't get to top four. I would say it would be a big disappointment considering the context of how the season's been. But I mean, at the start of the year, I was saying back into Europe, get that top six, you know, make that one step forwards. Because I looked at who was around. Man United are being touted as title challengers this season with the signings that they made. You know, Spurs brought in Antonio Conte partway through the year uh, and were looking better. Uh, and I think that, what what's gone on throughout the course of the season with both of the two teams that we're that are chasing us in in spurs and man United, and I, and I don't bring up west Ham because i just think they've probably dropped away too much by this point and wolves definitely have dropped away by this point we ourselves probably ended any hope they had of being in the top four race so with united and liverpool and the way in which they've played and the way in which they've dropped points and the the issues behind the scenes with united and Solskjaer and then the greenwood situation of course too and then with um, Spurs and, and changing managers, and then dropping points and really important fixtures, winning against City, and then dropping points against Birmingham. Just being very Spursy. Very Spursy, <laughs> yeah. which we all yeah. love and enjoy every single <laughs> week. Um, but it's, it, I still don't look at it as a failure because of the context at the start of the season. That top, top four is an overachievement for this Arsenal squad. It's the youngest side in the Premier League with the most inexperienced coach in the Premier League, to get into that top four would be a great achievement and really would kind of justify and vindicate a lot of the decisions that have been made to keep hold of Arteta through times where, you know, a lot of people, including myself, really question his position, especially after we finished eighth back-to-back and being knocked out of the Europa League by, by Unai Emery of all people and Villarreal. <laughs> so I think the way in which it's turned around and the way in which we've moved forward this season, if we say finished fifth and just missed out on the top four, I could probably compartmentalize that and understand the, the steps that we're taking to move forwards and realize that next season we're in an even better position to push forward to get to where we want to be but make no bones about it it would be a disappointment because we have a really good opportunity to get top four this season and that would represent a giant leap forwards for Arsenal Football Club
0: yeah exactly so and as you mentioned there's it's such a young promising exciting side with a mm. young promising exciting manager so in 12 months time what would progress look like to Arsenal? Would you like to be in a comfortable top four position this time next year? Or what would progress look like for the side?
1: Yeah, I mean, if we applied the caveat that Arsenal say qualify for the Champions League this season, in 12 months' time, we should be looking at being a side that are probably about where Chelsea are right now. Not in terms of, you know, they were expected to be title challengers, but in the sense of how far they kind of are off of the sides like Liverpool and Man City still need to do more investment, still need to make better decisions, still need to be more consistent. But they've got a, Arsenal, hopefully, will have a side by them, both with a much better striker, with a much better central midfielder, with greater depth throughout the side, with players like Odegaard, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Martinelli, White, Gabriel, Tierney, all improving. Tommy Asu as well, Ramsdale too. Uh, more youth coming through. I mean, one thing that I think a lot of rival fans look at with Arsenal is, wow, look at this young, amazing side. But I think sometimes that overshadows the talent that's still coming through the Arsenal youth ranks that don't get as much game time because we've got such a young squad anyway. But you've got players like Charlie Patino. that's probably the most famous of all of them that's coming through. Uh, there's a young guy at right back called Brooke Norton Cuffy that's on loan with Lincoln that's doing exceptionally well as well. You've got uh, Omar Rekic, who's a Tunisian international, has already played at the African Cup of Nations is a centre-back that's coming through. There is a re- follower in Balogun, of course, a lot of people know about who's at Bindlesborough right now as well. There are so much excited to be about Arsenal. It's a really exciting time to be an Arsenal fan and to get Champions League and then to see where we are in 12 months' time, hopefully after another big window, could see Arsenal in a position where the 23-24 season, you're looking at a side that maybe could be thinking about title challenging in, in you know a relatively short-term period.
0: Yeah, it definitely is seeable, isn't it? Especially with Chelsea. Who knows what's going to happen to them? Of course, yeah. They may plummet as well. But I'm going to bring it back around again to Wednesday night's match. Are there any notable injuries or suspensions within the Arsenal squad?
1: So the obvious one is Tommy Assu, as we've mentioned. Uh he's suffered with a with back to back calf injuries. He injured, I think it was his right calf in ironically the game against Liverpool. Um Fought back uh, and then was on the bench. I'm struggling to remember which game. I think it was for the Brentford game he was on the bench for and then injured his, his left calf, which often happens when you, you injure one calf because you're putting all your weight on the other one mm. when you're doing your rehab. But it, he's probably a doubt. He did train today, um, but it was light training. So he'll probably be back for Villa at the weekend, not tonight. But other than that... it's Here's your first uh,
0: game back against Luis Diaz. Enjoy. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But yeah, it's... Uh, It's going to be a clean bill of health otherwise. Uh, The the battles in terms of that, yeah, Luis Diaz um, up against Cedric is going to be scary. Uh, Very, very scary indeed. But uh, other than that, having... I mean, the difference between this and the side that obviously lost in the League Cup game is that Partey and Xhaka are both back now. Have played significantly um, and really importantly together, and yeah, having that back and available is has been huge. So, yeah, just one injury for us, which is not a nice change for Arsenal this season because we've had so many injuries in the past that you know it's often been the big talking point of our season, but not
0: this year. You've dropped a few hints there. What do you think the starting eleven will look like?
1: Yeah, so I think it'll probably be the same team that played uh, the weekend. So that'll be Ramsdale, Tomiassi, Uh sorry, Ramsdale, Cedric. Tommy is stuck in my brain now. Uh, Ramsdale, Cedric, White, um, followed by Gabriel and Tierney with Xhaka uh, playing in front of Partey in this kind of advanced role. A lot of people discuss whether he should drop back and be more reserved, but I still think he'll play in kind of this slightly ahead position and help with the progression. Erdogan on the right-hand side uh, of the midfield three. And Saka up top with Lacazette and Martinelli-Smithrow probably coming off
0: the bench later on during the game. Well, I mean, we've had so many classics between the two sides over the years at the Emirates, haven't we? I think we're pretty much set for another one. Mm. So just before we finish, I'm going to have to ask you for the dreaded score prediction. How do you think it's going to play out?
1: Yeah, I th- is it right that we're the- I think between us, we caused the highest score in Premier League games? I believe uh, so, yeah. I think so. <laughs> uh, usually not in Arsenal's favour, especially of late. Um, so unfortunately, I hope it doesn't go out like that. My honestly speaking from the head, uh, I think it'll be a 3-1 Liverpool win. I just think Liverpool have got too much um, for Arsenal to deal with. And, and across the 90 minutes, I think you will come out on top. But it depends if Arsenal can get an early goal. If Arsenal can get an early goal, you know, anything's possible the way that they can defend. But if we concede, often what happens is the heads can go. So, I'm, st- I'm going to stick with my head being a 3-1 win to Liverpool, but my heart will always go with a 2-1 winner and uh, fingers crossed. I'm going to be there, so fingers crossed, <laughs> you know, we can get the result.
0: Yeah, I'm going to be boring and greedy. I think it's going to be a 3-1 scoreline, but hopefully one of the aforementioned classics. But Tom Canton, thank you so much for joining me. We will, of course, wait and see what happens. And we've got plenty of pre-match content to delve into, as well as all the post-match reactions. So be sure to catch us in the usual places of the Liverpool Echo, Liverpool.com and Blood Red. But for now, though, thank you for watching and listening. We'll be back post-match with all the best analysis and reaction, including from Jurgen Klopp. So until then, it's goodbye for now. You've been listening to the Behind Enemy Lines podcast on the Blood Red channel.